Hey sister, this is Misty Williams, founder of HealingRosie.com, and I'm so excited to welcome you to Rosie Radio. Tune in to find clarity, direction, and hope for your healing. New episodes drop every Tuesday. We created this show to empower you to regain control of your life and feel like yourself again. Yes, sister, it is possible. I'm super excited to have my friend Josh Trent with us today to talk about something that has been a recurring pattern for me the last six months. I was at an event last fall with Seth Spears, who is the husband of Katie Wells. Um, You may know her brand, Wellness Mama. Um, She has one of the largest natural health blogs in our space, um, really targets moms. Um, He and I were chatting about um, an experience he'd recently had in Austin with our mutual friend, Josh, um, around breath work. And he was just raving about how deeply transformative it was to come and spend time with Josh in Austin, just focusing on breath and breathing. And I remember at the time thinking, oh, that's really interesting. And, and just filing it away. Um, I don't know Josh as the breathwork guy. I know him in other contexts and ways. And then after that, this idea of breathwork kept coming up over and over and over again for me. People would mention breathwork. They would talk about how important breathwork can be for rewiring your entire nervous system. I did an interview with Ari Witten for this event. And if you've seen that interview, you know, Ari talks extensively about um, the importance of breathwork in basically re-regulating your nervous system and really inducing a parasympathetic response so that you can heal. So because it keeps coming up over and over for me, I have started integrating some breath work into my own uh, morning routine um, along with meditation. And I really wanted to do an interview where we dove into this with someone that had some really good expertise. And not only are we going to talk about breath work, but we're going to actually do some breath work together. And I think that's going to be really, really powerful. Um, My goal for you is at the end of this um, conversation at the end of this video, um, you will know what you can do. You can add into your own routine to begin practicing something that can powerfully, powerfully support your body in healing. So this is going to be a fantastic interview and conversation today. And I'm super excited that you showed up for it. So Josh Trent is the founder of wellness force media host of the wellness and wisdom podcast, and the creator of breath, breath and wellness program. Josh has spent the past 19 plus years as a trainer, researcher, and facilitator discovering the physical and emotional intelligence for humans to thrive in our modern world. The Wellness Force Media mission is to help humans heal mental, emotional, and physical health through podcast programs and a global community that believes in optimizing our potential to live life well. Josh's life is dedicated to supporting humanity and coming together as one. And Josh is a new father of a beautiful baby girl named Nova. And I've been ooing and aahing over all the pictures. And um, I'm sure we'll hear a little bit about that part of his journey as this interview unfolds. So welcome, Josh. Thank you for having me. And he's a beautiful baby boy. boy. boy, boy, um, boy. Right, right. That. But it's funny. It. We go we go around town and people are like, is that a girl or a boy? And I'm like, well, it's whatever you want it to be. It's, it's a boy. You want it to be. It's a boy. So you and Carrie have been like just the juiciest, most excited, nurturing mama and papa bears to this little baby bring, bringing this being into the world. And it's been wonderful to see you step into a whole different part of your being. You know, there's this, there's this protective that powerful nurturing side of you that's just like converged and 
um, is really fierce. And I love seeing you so in love with both your son and Carrie. And, um, and I'm really thrilled for you. So congratulations. Yes. Thanks. I have a lot less free time, but all the time that I have is love time. It's all dedicated. You know, I I put my intentions on the things that matter most. (laughs) And when you have a child, it's like nothing else really matters besides the health of that child, the health of yourself and your family. I mean, it always does matter most our health and wellness, but it really goes to a different level of awareness when you have a child on earth because it ain't about you anymore. Yeah. Well, that's really beautiful. And I'm super excited to see you continue to blossom. And I'm sure there's going to be so many things in your own journey that will begin to permeate your work and you'll be sharing with the world. So um, I'd love to just kind of kick things off with um, an intro here to breath work. When Seth told me that he came to Austin to do breath work with you, I was like, oh, I, I didn't know that people came to Austin to do breath work with Josh. Um, but then of course, as I kept hearing more and more and more about it, I, it went from being intrigued to, oh my God, this is something I need to integrate. So for those that were like me before Seth said to me that he actually made a trip somewhere to do breath work, why don't you give us a little overview of what breath work is and why it's so important for us to integrate this into our daily practices? Sure. You know, in its simplest form, the art and science of breath or breath work is really just controlling your respiration so that you can pull the only autonomic or automatic lever you have for your stress. And that's it. Just everybody let that land for a moment. We all breathe, yet the way that we breathe, we learn from our parents and society as an adaptation to the stressors we're experiencing. So most of us actually aren't breathing, even though consciously we think we are. And at its simplest form, breath is an e-brake. You remember those e-brakes on cars where you, when you're a kid, maybe a teenager, you'd pull the e-brake and it would like stop the car and it would spin it out. That's what breath does to your nervous system. And it does it very, very quickly. So what happens when you're consciously using your breath to control and modulate your stress is that you're actually doing something physically and you're doing something energetically. The physical part of what you're doing is that you're diaphragmatically activating what's called vagus nerve, the vagus nerve or vagal toning. And that's different. Because a lot of us, you know, we think about toning our muscles in the gym by like doing a bicep curl or by doing squats or by doing exercises, you know, that burn you get in your muscles, you get toned in your muscles. But when it comes to the breath, there's two things going on. There's a nervous system adaptation where actually your vagus nerve that dovetails onto the back of the diaphragm that goes into the endocannabinoid system and into the enteric nervous system. It controls so many things if you do a deep, full diaphragmatic belly breath, which we'll do during this conversation. So that's the first thing it does is nervous. The second thing that it does outside the nervous system, though, is that it actually pushes the stem of the vagus nerve that's connected to the amygdala, which is the fear center of the brain. And it starts to shift us physically so that we're getting less blood flow, less cortisol. We're not in fight or flight. We're out of the sympathetic side of the nervous system. And we're physically moving ourselves to peace and relaxation and digestion. So at its core, it's the simplest and most powerful and only singular lever that we can pull in our nervous system that's automatic so we can tune our stress to be actually at peace. And we can't, one more thing, we can't digest our food faster. You know, we can't like make our blood flow faster. We can't make our skin grow faster. There's all these things that our body just does because it innately has that wisdom, right? Well, breath is beautiful because it's the only voluntary and involuntary lever that we can be in, in harmony with and communion with 
when it comes to our stress. Yeah. I love what you're saying here about the, um, the vagus tone or parasympathetic tone. Um, I remember having an interview about a year and a half ago with Dr. Marnie Turbel, where she talked about the parasympathetic nervous system. And I had at that point kind of thought of it as I thought of the parasympathetic as something you transition into from the sympathetic nervous system. And the way that I was um, facilitating the conversation had that implication of like, okay, we're going to basically turn off one thing to be in another. And she corrected me. She said, it's not your, we're not just talking about something you turn on and off like a like a switch that we're talking about something that you build strength and resilience into so that you're able to access it a lot easier. And when you're in that space of the parasympathetic nervous system, you're in it in a stronger, more powerful way. And of course, you know, you can liken it just as you did to being in the gym Mm -hmm. and, you know, building muscle tone, right? Where you're lifting and you're actually um, making your body stronger. We're actually making our parasympathetic nervous system stronger um, in a similar way way. And I found that distinction to be super helpful because um, otherwise I don't know if I would have really appreciated building strength in this side. You know, I kind of understood it as we're either in parasympathetic or sympathetic, right? And Mm -hmm, there's mm -hmm. actually a whole lot more to this conversation, which is really fascinating. Yeah. It's more, it's more like the tide in the ocean. You know, it, it, the tide takes time to change from neap to spring. So you don't go to the ocean and then all of a sudden, bam, the tide shifts. It takes time. Mm-hmm. So we have the same kind of energetic tides in our nervous system with, with sympathetic and parasympathetic. And I would say that, yes, it builds strength, but really underneath that, what it's actually doing is it's building resiliency and it's building activation. So it's activating certain afferent and efferent signaling molecules or dendrites or however you want to describe them these these molecules that that they actually receive a message from the motor neurons and then they send it back to the brain and when they send it back to the brain that's also part of that feedback loop that that is really part of the hypothalamus and everything else that's going on with our amygdala and the stress system itself so yeah it's strengthening but now that I hear you reflect that to me, it's strengthening, but it's more like just activating. It's activating things that may be asleep, that are conditioned to be asleep. And that's a deeper conversation when we look at society at large. Yeah. Yeah. Well, resilience has been a really hot topic the last year. I've seen a lot of events on resilience. I've heard lots of conversation conversations about resilience because um, our ability to be resilient in the face of adversity, especially when you're on a really challenging health journey, you know, resilience is key because you have to keep going and you have to keep searching and, you know, you, you find that there's a lot of changes that you have to make and it requires resilience to do that. And if you don't have um, a strong parasympathetic nervous system, then resilience can be really hard to come by. So take us deeper into this. I would love for you to just explain um, maybe some of the strategies that we can use to induce um, more parasympathetic tone. Um, I, I would love to just do some actual breathing together so that people leave this conversation feeling really empowered around this topic. Yeah. The first thing we can start with is our posture. The next one is our musculature. And then the next one is our 
our actual practice itself, the breath practice itself. So for, for posture, most of us are right now, I'm in a really cool chair. I'm in this chair. It's called a Lotus chair. So I actually have a pad in front of my stomach and I'm sitting in the Lotus position and my spine, my head, my shoulders are all in line with my hips. Not everybody has this chair. So the very first thing that most of us need to do actually is roll our shoulders back and take a deep breath, right? Because most of us are forward flexed. We're like this. And it's because of our cell phone and our cars and all the things that we've heard before. You know, you and I are in this world of health and we hear a lot of the same things over and over and over again. But are we doing them? But like, that's the really big go to market here. Are we actually doing them? So the first thing you have to do is stop being so forward flexed. Forward flexed means that your shoulders are basically in front of your ears. You want to pull your shoulders at or behind your ears. That's a big one. The next one is you want to have your body straight. So you'll have your spine, your hips, and your head all in a line. And actually everyone imagine right now, wherever you are, imagine there's a string in the very center of your head and the top of your head. And that string is pulling you up to the ceiling. So it would look and feel almost like just a slight tug. You're lifting your head up. You're creating a little bit of length in your neck. And that's the best place to start. Now, if you're laying down, it's happening for you, right? And what Seth and I did and what a lot of students do is we'll just lay on the ground with some pillows. Because then you're completely relaxed, right? Your shoulders are back because gravity's pulling you back. So the key here is when you start with posture, there's in these three phases. When you start with posture, you do not want to be forward flexed. You want to be open. You want to be neutral. So neutral. The next is actually where you're breathing. Most of us, we breathe through our scalenes, our sternocleidomastoid, and right basically here in our clavicles. We don't want to do that. And Dr. Belisa Vranich, one of my teachers, he talks about horizontal breathing versus vertical breathing, right? We are meant to be horizontal breathers. That means we breathe in and out, not up and down. But we have been trained really by stress and by our parents, Misty, that we just need to breathe like this. <gasps> and we see it with Wim Hof and we see it with all these cathartic techniques. And that's cool. And I'm sure we'll talk about the different phases of breath work later. But breath work does not mean that you're breathing up and down. Breath work means that you're breathing in and out. And that's the one really clear distinction I want to make. So that's the second thing. And then the third thing is our actual style or, or our practicum of the breath work. And so what we're going to do right now is I'm just going to take one hand. I'm going to put my left hand on my heart and we can all do it together. If you're driving in a car, obviously don't do this because you need to pay attention to the wheel. Both so hands your right hand's on your stomach, right hand's on your stomach, left hand's on your heart. And I want everybody to just... Pull your shoulders back, sit up nice and straight, or you can do this laying on the ground. Close your eyes, and I want you to imagine you have just had a complete bath of relaxation. Your eyes are relaxed. Your jaw is relaxed. I want you to roll your jaw a few times in each direction, so three times to the left. Roll your jaw. Relax your jaw. Switch directions. Now open and close your mouth a few times. We hold a lot of tension in our jaw. Maybe a yawn. <sighs> And just get fully in your body. And when you breathe in through your nose, I want you to fill a balloon behind your belly button. So you're going to breathe in through your nose and you're going to fill a balloon behind your belly button. Hold right there. Did you notice that you breathed into the balloon behind your belly button or did you notice that you breathed and your shoulders went up? Let it go out of your mouth. <sighs> Feel that right hand push your stomach closer to your spine. All the air is exiting the balloon. Let's do two more together. So you're going to breathe in through your nose, fill the balloon behind your belly. In through your nose, fill the balloon behind your belly. Hold. 
See if you're really having a mind to muscle connection with your hand on your belly. Let it go out of your mouth. And let's do one more time. And I really want everyone to focus on keeping your shoulders down. So breathe in through your nose. Fill the balloon behind your belly. Let it go. So you'll notice just for those three breaths that we did, six is the sweet spot. We're obviously just priming the system and we can get into a deeper practice. But what we're doing is we're just priming the system so that you're actually breathing where nature intended you to breathe. And that is the balloon, the imaginary balloon that's behind your belly. And so with this, you'll notice, Misty, I don't know if you noticed personally or maybe people with us right now felt like, wow, I noticed that I actually breathe up instead of out. Did you feel like you breathed out or did you feel like you breathed up? Which one felt more true for you? I felt like I was breathing both, actually. Okay, kind of both. That's cool. So you're a mixed breather. Yeah, There's I nothing felt, wrong I with that. everything going. But the second time I was trying to be more intentional about breathing. Yes. So what I would belly. do if we were in your house right now, and obviously we can't do this here on this interview, but I would have you lay on the ground. I would place a little sandbag on your belly and I would cue you to breathe in through your nose and your belly would rise. So in through your nose, belly rises. In through your nose, belly rises, the balloon fills. Exhale through your mouth, your belly collapses to spine, and the balloon empties. So that's the really big piece that everyone needs to get. I don't care who you are, how old you are, your athletic ability, none of that matters. All that matters is that you start cueing what's called circular conscious breathing. Inhale through your nose, belly rises. Exhale through your mouth, belly goes to spine. That's it. <laughs> You're done. You don't even have to listen to me anymore. No, no. Listen to me more because there's really good stuff to come. But that's the base, right? We talked about our posture. We talked about the way that our muscles actually activate. So we're breathing in through our nose. Our belly fills. We're breathing out through our mouth. Our belly empties. And then the last one is actually doing this for a specific purpose, right? So if you're having an acute stressor, this is where we can talk about the three phases of breath work. If you have any acute stressor, you're in a traffic accident, you're fighting with your spouse, you're about to go on a stage. Um, maybe you're even in a psychedelic journey, whatever it is, you're in an acute stress point. So all of a sudden your stress went from 10% to 90% or a hundred percent. What do you do then with the art of the breath? That's acute style breathing. That's a very specific practice. Then there's meditative breathing. Meditative breathing is where you and I would sit and we would do a seven, a 12, maybe a 21 minute practice. That's more meditative. And like you had your other expert who talked about this, that's where you train your parasympathetic to be more strong or more resilient over time. Those are those longer, more meditation style or proactive style breathing. And then there's the final phase of breath, which has become the most popular, but honestly the most abused. And that is catharsis breathing. Catharsis breathing is where you go 30, 60, 90 minutes where you're doing Stan Groff or Wim Hof, or very, very deep breathing journey. I don't recommend people go into that. I think people should start with the acute and the meditative. So that's basically it with our posture, our style, our musculature, making sure we're straight, making sure we're breathing properly. We talked about the vertical and the horizontal. That's the building blocks of, of the breath. Yeah. So I'm really into human design. I don't know if you're familiar with human design, Josh. If not, I've got I just had a reading Barbara. recently. With Barbara or someone else? Not with, not with Barbara, with someone else. Oh, yeah. So I love human design. So beyond the scope of this conversation, unless you know about human design, but basically I am um, emotionally defined and my partner is not. Okay. So that means that I'm on the wave. And when we are having a very intense conversation, my wave tends to go like my intensity goes up, 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 up. 
and uh-huh. it floods his nervous system. He's taking everything that I'm feeling and he, because he's not on the wave, he's actually magnifying all of it. So my fiery Leo fire <laughs> is like overwhelming him. And one of the things that he has been guided to do when he's feeling Misty's fire <laughs> is to breathe. Um, because yeah. what he will do is he'll actually stop breathing. So this is an acute stress response. I am stressing him out. Um, and he is, his breathing gets really shallow and it gets really constricted and he pulls in and it is very unproductive for both of us. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I am, mm-hmm. I want to just offer that frame for those of you who may have found yourself or, or you know, someone <laughs> who finds themselves in those situations where there's, there's some kind of intense event happening like a fight or intense conversation with your spouse, however you define that. Um, I think going into some tools for what we can do in those moments would be really valuable. Let's, let's do that. And I'll tell you this, the greatest tool that you have is repetition. And I'll say that and the subconscious or maybe our novelty seeking brain won't like it. <laughs> our novelty seeking brain is going to be like, what do you mean? I'll just practice. No, that's it. I mean, you literally just have to practice. So what happens is when we, so let's, let's do an example, right? An example might be like, let's say that for right now, I'll be your partner and, and you can be you, you know, you might be the wave. He might be the island. You might be the anxious. He might be the avoidant. However you want to describe it. But there's a lot of different frameworks of how we describe human psychology and, and how we relate to one another. Huh? Basically, one energy is is going outward and one energy is going inward. So how do we make it so that there's less of a teeter totter where one person feels stressed and the other person feels stressed? How do we equalize that? The very first thing that we do is we vocalize it. This is the big one. And this is what I've been practicing in my relationship, too, is like, OK, Share what you're feeling, not, and this is really big, a a great resource for everyone here is called nonviolent communication, nonviolent communication, very, very powerful movement started about 30, 40 years ago. And in nonviolent communication, what you and I would do is like, let's say you came to me and you're like, let's say, for example, you're pissed off that I didn't take out the trash. So you would say to me, Josh, I can't believe you didn't take out the trash. It's like the fifth time. And so I would have to literally, I would have to go like this. Take a breath in through my nose, feel my belly, breathe like an animal because we're animals. Animals don't breathe up and down. Animals breathe out and in. I would let it go. <sighs> That's the first thing. I would have to remind myself and train myself over time when you bring me that stimulus, when you bring me that stress, I would have to remind myself just like I train in the gym with biceps. I would have to train with you in relationship and I would say, I need to take a breath or I need give me a moment or hold on something. You need an auditory cue, right? Because you are coming at the person and you're like, I need something. I'm upset about something. You want to receive something. So I would pause and I would say, I need to take a breath. And if I didn't have time to even do that, I would just breathe without permission. And then I would say, you know, what I'm experiencing right now is I would say to you, I'm experiencing a tightness in my chest. I'm experiencing shame. I'm experiencing guilt. You know, I, definitely want to take out the trash and, you know, I apologize for, for missing that or whatever it is. Right. Or, Hey, the reason I didn't take out the trash is because I had a call come through and it honestly slipped my mind. You know, you know, I care about you and you know, I know, I understand the trash is a big deal to you. That is a very high level of emotional intelligence to the degree that we have processed our lowercase T trauma or our capital T trauma, or if we have any, um, 
interstitial tension from health issues that we're having. If someone has mold, if someone has um, chronic stress that they really have never gotten a handle on, or if they're taking in too much caffeine, or if they have food sensitivities. I mean, Misty, this whole series, right? There, there's so many things that are running unconsciously or in the background that cause people to be shifted over to that sympathetic. And when I'm in sympathetic and I'm not aware of it and I'm not aware of my environment and I'm not aware of the ways that, that the trauma I've experienced in my life actually is what makes me project and have less patience with my partner. It's very difficult to do what the exercise was that I did with you now, which is to take a breath, to verbalize in a nonviolent way. Hey, this is what I'm experiencing. I'm feeling shame. I'm feeling this. I'm feeling fill in the blank because there's more breath there. Like it's tattooed on my arm for a reason. It's posso respirare, posso scegliere. And what that means in Italian is if I can breathe, I can choose. So if I can breathe, if I can. <sighs> you know what? I totally forgot to take out the trash. I did. But it makes me feel a lot of shame when this situation happens. It makes me feel a lot of shame. It makes me feel like, you know, some extra stress that I'm really having a hard time you know, being at peace with here. I understand where you're coming from and it makes me feel like this. Now, the, the unconscious way to do that would be you come at me again and you go, you didn't take out the trash. Oh my God. Well, you take out the trash. I'm busy. That could be a traditional non-evolved, not emotionally intelligent and no breath awareness type response. That's a violent response. And what happens with couples, and I've dealt with this myself, is you go from one ping pong to the other and before you know it, there's insults and there's things that are being said that are completely from the ancient brain and from our child self that have nothing to do with the loving adult, the responsible adult that's inside of us. And it's because, number one, we didn't physiologically move ourselves to be an adult. So we didn't take a breath. We didn't have the awareness to take the breath. Number two is we actually just went into the same kind of channel that's been grooved in our brain from childhood, from adolescence, from relationship we're in now. And we just went with it because neurons that fire together, they close and wire together. And so the same messages that are going back and forth to my body, to my brain, I talked about it earlier with the afferent and the efferent currents. If I can train myself to be aware that when I receive a current from my body, that's fear, that's shame, that's grief, whatever it is, then instead of my mind being in control and my mind saying, well, shout at your partner and tell them they're a jerk, you know, that's the opposite of what we want to do. The first thing we want to do is we want to have somatic awareness, we want to be a, a, like aware to what's happening in my body. When you and I, in this quote example, are having an argument and what's happening in my body is my breath goes away, <gasps> my stomach tensions, maybe my posture changes. Just be aware of all that first and then shout it out to your partner. Hey, I noticed my posture change. I noticed my breath is gone. I notice I'm feeling this shitty way. I'm going to take a breath right now. <sighs> that is the number one thing to do. Here's why it's so hard. And I studied this for a long time. The reason it's so hard is because we have been conditioned since we came into the world by our parents, siblings, grandparents, society, job, everything. Everything in our world is constantly screaming at us to stay the same, to not grow, to not change, to not evolve, to be more confrontational and less loving. Unless we have a conversation like this in this interview where we're interested in something different, where we're going to use the art of the breath to cue into what's somatically going on with our body because the body knows way before the mind does. 
The body knows way before the mind does. The mind is the mind's job is literally to give and receive information and to keep us safe. <laughs> like that's the mind's job, right? It keeps us safe and it gives and receives information. That's it. It's kind of, it's kind of a great servant, but it's a really lousy master. So we need the body to talk to the mind. And the only way we can talk to the, to the mind by being in the body is through the bridge of the breath. That's it. Because when we take, a, take away the breath, the bridge is gone. There's no bridge between somatic and between psychological. Yeah. One of the things that's coming up for me as I'm listening to you explain all of this is how easy it is for me to access the part of myself that, you know, knows what I'm feeling. I'm feeling shame. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a female, first of all, and I think it's just easier for women to like know their feelings. And I've just been doing this work forever. So it's very easy for me, but Roderick, my partner is not so easy for him. And I, and I know that there's plenty of people watching who are like, I could take the breath. And then what am I feeling? How do I access that part of myself? It's kind of a, a foreign concept because they've, um, they've kind of been in a, a reactive state for so long. And maybe it hasn't, in Roderick's case, it was never safe for him to have feelings, to have an emotional response to anything. So he dealt with his childhood trauma by being apathetic, I don't care. Basically just shutting everything off. I'm just shutting down the whole power grid. Right. So I'd love for you to speak to that because I know there's people who are watching who are in that same situation of like getting present to like what I'm feeling in my body is I've never done this before in my life. Yeah. You know, the Gottmans have the four horsemen, which is powerful and I'm going to mess it up a little bit, but one of them is stonewalling, right? When you stonewall or when you shut down, it's actually one of the four determinants of what makes relationships fail is number one, number one is stonewalling. Another is contempt. Um, but the stonewalling aspect is, is really, really sad because if you think about it, if the only tool a person has is to stonewall and, and icy cold shut down to keep themselves safe, because at the core of that way of being, what it is, is, is they want to keep themselves safe, right. right? They learned either in early childhood or adolescence or somewhere that when they're getting bombarded on, when they're getting attacked, when they're getting shouted at, when their boundaries are being broken and not respected as a child or an adolescent or a teenager or a young adult, it's such a sad yet potent, powerful strategy that's really hard to unwind because it does give them what they're desiring, and that is safety. And so if someone feels safe by stonewalling, to unwind that as an adult is a lot of work. It takes patience. It takes courage. And it takes really feeling all the feelings that we've not wanted to feel. I, I read this somewhere once. Maybe it was in Bessel van der Kolk's work, The Body Keeps the Score. It was in, or it might have been in Peter Levine's work, Waking the Tiger. I forgot where I read it, but somebody's going to know exactly where it was. Every single animal in the world remembers every attack, every blade of grass, every field they've been on, and we do too. We've just become so desensitized to our subconscious memory because a lot of those memories are really scary and the conscious brain perceives it as threat. Remember, the brain, it sends and receives information and it keeps us safe. That's its number one job. Our conscious brain is not there for you to unwind your relationship with your father. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like that's, yeah. that's not its freaking job, but that's what needs to be done so that we can stop projecting all of our stuff on our partners. And so there's two, there's two prongs to this. What has to happen is there has to be an open conversation about the dyad, 
about the style of, of attachment that's been created. Um, when I first got with Carrie there, I was the anxious and she was the avoidant. And now that's unwinding, right? It's unwinding and it's, and it's flourishing into something else, but there has to be like some deep, deep work on that. Because when I can reflect on my childhood, my strategy wasn't to shut down. My strategy was to go in. And when I went in, I could fix it. I could talk about it. I could make it right. I could, I could help mom. I could help dad. I could do whatever so that I would feel okay. But isn't that interesting? Because one's not worse than the other. One's not better than the other. Whether I go in or whether I go out, whether I shut down or whether I open up, n- none of them are right or wrong. They're just, they're just a piece of – they're a way of being that's keeping us separate from ourselves and from the other person. So the way you do that is you have the conversation with the person, you go into an altered state with the person, altered state meaning not in your crazy child mind, not in your reactive mind where you're projecting your stuff onto them. The breath is a great tool. Microdosing is a great tool. Being in nature is a great tool. Playing is a great tool. Uh, Novelty is a great tool. There's so many tools that you can do, but you have to do them with your partner, not separately. I mean, you do them separately for your own growth, but when it comes to this type of interaction, you have to do them with your partner. And then in that altered state, you share openly like, hey, I know that what I'm about to share with you may bring up some emotions or it may be uncomfortable to talk about. And I just want you to know how you're being is okay. You're safe to shut down if you need to, but I really require more and I want to connect with you on a deeper level. I want to connect with you on a deeper level or I want to love you more, something like that. You can't make that person different. All you can do is open up the door. Actually, on a subconscious level, if you try to change your partner, they'll resist you and they won't know why they're doing it. It's because you're trying to change them. All you can do with nonviolent communication, all you can do is you can share from the I. I feel this way. I want more love. I want to care for you. I want to express. And also the third caveat that I'll say is that when you are expressing to your partner and you're using your breath and you're breathing um, horizontally, not vertically, and you're in your body and you're speaking from the heart, there's just something magical that happens. I know this sounds woo and that's cool because like everything is spiritual. But when you're speaking from the heart and when you're in your body and when you're breathing, your partner is going to feel that from you. And there's not going to be as much of a charge because the pattern that gets created with anxious avoiding is the avoidant feels powerful when they shut down and the anxious feels powerful when they go in, but they're both really unhealthy. Actually, they're another, neither one of them is healthy. What's most healthy is secure attachment and secure attachment comes by unwinding the anxious and the avoidant or the Island and the wave. So that's really the beginning of that conversation. It's a lot more deep, but that's the start of it. Yeah. All right. Well, teach us strategies. What can we do with breath? Well, the first thing that we do is we tell the person, hey, I'm feeling this way. Let's do some breathing together or I'm going to do some breathing. You first ask for permission. And then when you get the permission, then you go to a space where you lay on the ground together or you sit across from each other. I actually have this really cool spray that I've been using. It's from Dr. John Laurence. It's called the Mitozen spray. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's a really good one. So it's, it's oxytocin and, and hoppe and I do a little spray and that, that grounds me. And then what I'll do is I'll do alternate nostril breathing or I'll do 
conscious connected breathing with my partner. And so the conscious connected breathing is where we sit across from each other and we're actually mirroring our breath. So you and I can do that right now. I'll put my hand on my heart, I'll put my hand on my stomach. And I'm going to inhale through my nose and exhale through my mouth. But every single time that I do that, I'm going to look right here at your third eye. I'm actually going to look in the space between your eyebrows. So inhale through your nose. Exhale through your mouth. Now inhale through your nose a little deeper. Exhale through your mouth for four seconds. Inhale nose for two. Last one. And then I'm going to hold here for 10 seconds. And in this place of stillness where you're not breathing and I'm not breathing, I'm just looking at your eyes. All the little micro muscles in your face start to relax. All the arguments and the anger start to lessen because you're cueing yourself to an anchor. You're cueing yourself to that 10 second hold. And then in one second, we're going to go ahead and breathe in through our nose. So go ahead and breathe in through your nose. Hold this for 10 seconds. So here you're feeling your heartbeat. You're feeling maybe some of your anger. You're feeling whatever you're, you're feeling the heat of the moment with your partner. Just keep holding this and just be at peace with this. And then when you exhale in a couple seconds, feel into what they're feeling. Let's return to normal breathing. So I'm staring right between your eyes. I'm looking at your eyes. I'm doing six of those circular breaths, two inhale, four exhale. And then I'm holding for 10. Then I'm taking a breath. Then I'm holding for 10. Then I'm breathing out. That is the anchor that we need. Because when we're angry, we're upset. It's kind of silly. Don't you agree, Misty? It's kind of silly for us to keep going on on the merry-go-round and try to figure out who's right and who's wrong. Just stop it. Take the six breaths. Do the 10-second hold. Do the 10-second hold. Go back to your normal breathing. Then respond to your partner. So six, 10, and 10. Two inhale, four exhale. That's the best practice any of us could ever do. There's other practices as well. But, but that's a really good one to start. Yeah, I love that. I love simple. Let's keep it simple so that people actually apply and don't get overwhelmed. So it's fantastic. Practice it, yeah. Yeah, yes. yeah. So you talked about um, cultivating through habit the breath. And I would uh, imagine that there's different practices for, you know, the, the moment that you're in that fight or flight like, and the moment yes. that you're just, you know, to, I'm spending 20 minutes this morning meditating. Let me add some breath work in here to really build my tone. You know, it's a really good one is I love the two part breath. The two part breath is really good for meditative breathing because like, for example, let's say someone is dealing with depression and I've dealt with that in my life. Depression is a focus on the past or rumination on the past. So when I'm experiencing depression, I'm really in the opposite of expression. Isn't that cool that the breath makes us breathe and we breathe through it so we can express how we're feeling physically if we do the breath. When a child cries or when when human beings cry, you notice most of the time they go like this, (laughs) right? It's like this two part kind of like, (laughs) 
So we can mimic that in the two-part breath like this. So you're doing your meditation. Maybe you've done two or four minutes or five minutes, depending on, on how much relaxation you need of circular breathing of what you and I just did, the two inhale, the four exhale. And then you get to a point where you really want to access some hurt or you really want to access some grief or you really want to access some sadness. You want to get that depression out. You want to express the depression. The best way to do that is through a two-part breath. And so two-part breath is you're going to inhale quickly twice through the nose and it'll look and feel just like this. So short first, long second. So short, long. And you do that for a minute, maybe two minutes straight, two-part breath. First, small, second, longer. So short pull, long pull. One, two, exhale. One, two, exhale. And if you've given yourself enough spaciousness to do it, you're probably going to cry. I've made myself cry like that before. It's really healthy for you, actually, because tears and grief and sadness or, or whatever you're feeling, it really just wants to come out anyways. So we may as well mimic the crying response. Right. And crying, by the way, is beautiful because I, I used to think, especially as a man, I'm like, if you cry, you're weak. You know, that was a big thing when I was growing up. And, and then when in my 20s, when I was a personal trainer, I'd have, cry, I'd have clients cry in their sessions with me. And, I'm, and I always go home. I'd be like, why the hell are these people crying in a training session? Like, what is going on? And it wasn't until my mid 30s where I made the connection. I was like, oh, my God, Misty, they're crying because they're allowing themselves to breathe. Working out, training, lifting weights isn't just about the physical. It's about the emotional as well. So when we mimic that cry response, we give our nervous system a way to off gas or to let go of some of the pressure that it's been holding on to. So that's a really big one. The two-part breath with the short pull, long pull, and the, and the smooth exhale for a minute to two minutes, that can induce a cry response. Yeah. Um, one of the things that's coming up for me as you're talking about that is um, a conversation that I had with a friend uh, talking about trauma. And he was explaining that, you know, in the wild, when animals experience trauma, their bodies often shake, vibrate, the trauma moves through them and they, they allow it. And then they're able to move on. And that trauma doesn't get stored in their body. Like it does for us, because we're clamping down, we are holding our breath, we're holding things in and we don't allow things really to move through us. And I've certainly had times, I remember one time doing, um, Ho'oponopono and, um, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Thank you. I love you for those of you that aren't familiar with the Ho'oponopono. And I remember feeling I was in, I was going through a breakup and I was just really emotional and overwhelmed by everything. I, I, when I did Ho'oponopono, I remember I was actually feeling kind of numb. I was at that point of just feeling numb. And I started saying, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Thank you. I love you. And I was taking deep breaths as I was saying it. And I started bawling. I mean, just sobs racking my whole body as I just let all of the emotion and the feeling move through me. And I remember in the moment thinking, what am I crying about? Because it was so much bigger than what I perceived to be, you know, whatever I was experiencing through this breakup, it was almost like this exorcism of grief. And it was really powerful for me in that moment. And I think we all need strategies for digging in and giving us the opportunity to process what's trapped inside because we if you've been on this earth for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, you've experienced trauma and overwhelm and we have stuff trapped inside of our bodies and we need a strategy for moving that energy so that we can really heal. 
Yeah. Think of the body as like a, it's almost like a public library, except for you're the only one that has the card. You know, your body's like this library and there's all these volumes of things that have happened Mm -hmm. and you know them on some kind of a subconscious level. This is why earlier I was talking about every animal that's ever been in a field. Why do you think butterflies know where to fly? Why do you think that certain animals know to avoid certain places? It's because it's stored in their primitive brain the same way it's stored in yours and mine. But the thing is, is we live in a world that not the world you and I live in. But we live in a world that the majority of people in society, if you show emotion other than confidence or anger or frustration, then you're somehow weak. Being soft or uh, letting emotions move through you is is, and the tide is turning on this, right, with this interview and, and with the work that we're doing. But what's happening is we live in a society that just reinforces these stuck emotions. Because there's a pill, there's fast food, there's alcohol, there's drugs, there's, there's like literally, there's a litany of distraction devices, weapons of mass distraction that pull you and I away from our breath, that pull us away from feeling these things and essentially pull us away from shaking it off, right? Because to shake it off would then make you seem vulnerable to, to society to where it even bothered you in the first place. And so it's okay to shake it off. It's okay to show that things have bothered you or that you're sad or, or whatever it is, because why, why would it even matter if we were successful or if we have all the trappings of society, if we weren't feeling good in our bodies or if we weren't feeling good about ourselves? I mean, I've had that journey come to me all the time in my life. I mean, I'm in a phase of that journey now in being a dad and like the learning curve of the letting the old life die and letting the new life come in and the business is going to be this way now. And then, you know, letting the podcast burn down and then creating a new one in its place. Like, I just think it keeps going. And I think we have to just keep feeling and keep expressing it all through the breath and um, through our emotional being. Yeah. All right. Well, take us into some daily practices with breath. So the best daily practice we can do is I actually do it right here in the studio. I have a a seated little stool where I put my knees below my hips. That's the best one. You put your knees below your hips. Um, If you're doing it, I would actually recommend you wouldn't do it standing. So you're either kneeling or sitting or you're on a meditation cushion or whatnot. And what you're going to do is you're going to do the two minutes of the circular breathing like you and I did. Two minutes straight of two inhale, four exhale for two minutes. And then after that, I want you to hold for as long as you can. So you've been getting this rich oxygen in, right? You've been breathing in for two seconds. You've been exhaling for four seconds. After you do that for two minutes, just hold. Maybe you can hold for 30 seconds. Maybe you can hold for 60 seconds. Maybe you can hold um, for 90 seconds. There's no ego in this. It's, it's whatever you can do. And then I want you to go back to the two and four. So another two minutes of the two inhale, the four exhale. And then one last round of holding. And then after that, I promise you, your body will feel different. That is the most potent practice that any of us could do. It's a discipline, Misty, to, to really, for two minutes, to breathe in for two seconds and out for four and then do your hold and then breathe back in for two and out for four for another two minutes and another hold. That can be very challenging for certain people. This is why in the Breathe program, we train people how to do this um, with posture, with videos. We've had thousands of students across the world do this because sometimes we just need a little help. We just need a little helping hand to do it. Um, otherwise, we'd have to just do like an hour class where I would take you through a bunch of practices. And that's that would be that would be it. It would just be all practices. So that's the best place to start. Right. In your morning when your mind is probably the most open, most susceptible to your environment. 
Um, and you can do it at nighttime too. There's a different practice for night. I can share what the nighttime practice is too, but that morning practice is, is great. It's deep. It's proactive. It's meditative. Um, two rounds of the two, four with two holds, um, 30, 60, 90 seconds each, and then go back to your normal breathing. That's the best way to start your day. And it pro- it's probably going to be about five to seven minutes, honestly, for that type of practice. It's very, very short, but very, very potent practice. The nighttime practice is different. The nighttime practice, you're going to want to do more of a box style breathing. So the box style breathing is meant for grounding. The circular breathing is meant for energy or exploration, right? Or, or expression, if you will. That's why when, when clients are depressed, we do circular breathing. Um, when clients have anxiety, we do box breathing. And it's a really key distinction. So at nighttime, you would do two minutes of box breathing. Box breathing is you breathe in for five through your nose. You hold for five, you exhale for five out of your mouth, and then you hold for five at the bottom. And you just continue to do that. Inhale for five, you draw a box, hold, exhale five, hold. Inhale, hold, exhale, hold. That's it. And then you do the same thing where at the end of that, you just give yourself a 30, 60, 90 second hold. And all that does is just cue you to be at peace with whatever stress that you have. The only reason we do breath hold retentions is so that we can be at peace with what we're actually feeling. So we can actually connect somatically with what we're feeling. And then after that, you would do the exact same practice again and then do another hold for 30, 60, 90 seconds. And that would, again, take you about five to seven minutes. So anyone can do this. It's circular in the morning and box at night. Or if you need it, maybe you're feeling anxious in the morning. Maybe you do box in the morning and circular at night. It just depends on on whatever you need. Oh, I would love it if we could do some box breathing together to give everyone the opportunity to get this in their body. Yes. To experience it. Okay. Um, and I, I've i been practicing box breathing. I love it. It it's, is very, it's very grounding. Yes. It is the best. Here's, here's, I'm holding up a little square right here. Okay. So this is basically what we're going to do. We're going to breathe like a box. So first, cue your posture, put your hands on your belly. You can do it eyes open or eyes closed. I'm going to do it with my eyes closed. I'm going to inhale through my nose for five. Hold for five. Exhale through your mouth for five. Hold for five. Inhale through your nose for five. Hold for five. Exhale for five. Hold for five. Last one, we're going to do a two count. So inhale for two. Hold for two. Exhale for two. Hold for two. So you can see we can mix up the practice. We can do five seconds if we really need to ground. We can do two seconds if we just need to cue ourselves to get back on planet Earth or feel like we need some kind of an anchor or a pole position. But the longer you do, like if you were to do a 10-second um that would actually slow you down to the degree that you're increasing the length of your box. That's how much it's going to slow down your mind or slow down your nervous system. Yeah. Really powerful. Well, thank you so much for sharing us your Jedi secrets around breath. Um, I hope everyone will really take seriously the opportunity that you have to do a simple, simple practice that um, is hugely important for your parasympathetic nervous system, for parasympathetic tone 
But ultimately, what does that mean for us? It means healing. And it's my desire that um, we don't just go through an event like this and hear a lot of great strategies and stories, but we actually get some tools where we can integrate some things into our lives that support us in being able to heal. Um, One of the things that breathwork is also really great for, I just want to share this. I may have mentioned it um, on another interview, but in 2011, when I had two surgeries back to back, the first surgery was to remove a cyst from my left ovary. They found um, endometriosis when they opened me up, they removed my ovary along with the cyst and spent two hours removing scar tissue from my abdomen stitched up part of my small intestine on the way out, which is not part of the procedure. Sent me home. I wasn't able to get a hold of the doctor for six days. Finally, was told to go to the emergency room, saw what they had done, wheeled me back for another surgery, sent me home, and I didn't sleep for six days. And I don't know if you've ever gone through a period of prolonged wakefulness, but it was torture. Yeah. I didn't doze off. I didn't have bad sleep. I was literally awake for over 144 hours and felt like I was just coming unraveled. And I remember calling a friend who has a toolbox of Jedi tricks. And um, I didn't even give him a lot of information. I just told him I'm not not sleeping. And it's been six days and I was weepy and emotional. I mean, you get to that point and you're like coming unraveled. Mm -hmm. And he gave me breath work. He told me to breathe. And I wish I remembered actually what he gave me. Um, If there was a rhythm to it, I'm pretty sure there was because it seems like I remember counting. But I remember hanging up the phone with him and going and sitting in the floor and just breathing. And I did it for 20 or 30 minutes. And I felt myself start to doze off. And I stood up from the floor. It was the middle of the day. I stood up, went over to my bed. I laid down and I fell asleep for the first time in six days. And I think, wow, what if I, looking back, what if I hadn't got that strategy for calming down my sympathetic nervous system? I mean, it was, it wasn't a long time. It's not like I did breath work for, you know, throughout the day for the whole day, it was about 20 minutes and I was actually able to sleep. So it is profound what breath work does for our nervous system. And this is, these are tools that all of us need to have if we're really serious about healing. Yeah, it's beautiful you said that. And, you know, there is one more thing I can share, too. And Dr. Andrew Wheel made this really popular, but I'm sure that he got it from Leonard Orr, who was like the man that really brought breath to the West Coast, to America. And it's a 478. So 478 is designed for sleep. And that might have been what your friend gave you. Yeah. Because Mm -hmm. what happens is when you really, when you prolong your exhale, you're, you're, yes, you're cueing the, the relaxation response, but you're also, you're, you're turning down the volume and we didn't go too deep into this of your default mode network. Your default mode network is whatever is scanning or ruminating in the past or scanning for danger in the future. It's the thing that pulls you out of flow, that pulls you out of present moment, that pulls you out of relaxation. So if you were to go four seconds in through your nose, hold for seven seconds, Exhale for eight seconds. And go back to your four, seven, eight. That'll get you sleepy. It cues the relaxation response on a much deeper level because you're extending your exhale. 
you're also holding on the seven, you're coming to terms with whatever stress you're feeling. Remember, we, we do the breath hole retentions to actually process and feel whatever stress we're feeling. And then the four is just to get in a nice, smooth, clean flow of oxygen. So four, seven, eight is a really good tool for sleep. And that's for all of us. And we, and this is the thing, like, I'll tell you, most of the people that, that have either worked with me or that are in the breathe program, like... They just love doing the box and the circular breathing every day. If you can just master the box and the circular breathing and just do a seven minute to a 21 minute practice on the daily, over time, these things are just going to set in. You know, the myelin sheaths are going to groove and you're going to have transformation over the course of time, you know, three weeks, two months, something very close to that. Yeah. Well, this has been really powerful. Awesome. I love that I was able to get you for this event, this was kind of a Hail Mary. We're getting close to the finish line. Oh my God, I have to have Josh come and talk to us about breath work. So this was really fantastic, Josh. Thank you so much for not only sharing with us, but doing some demonstrations. I hope everyone got a lot of value out of actually doing the breath work. Yes, you're and welcome. Breathe yes. like an animal, y'all. Breathe, breathe like, like an animal. An animal. This breathe is one out. Of those... Don't breathe up. Mm-hmm. This is one of those videos that, um, that you might want to watch again and again, because um, being guided in these practices in the beginning is really, really helpful, um, helps really get it anchored into your body, gives you some confidence when you're doing something new for the first time. So Josh, if people are interested in learning more about you and your work and your breathe program, where can they find you online? Just go to breathwork.io. It came to me when I was in a psychedelic journey. So you'll have to go listen to my podcast, the wellness wisdom podcast. If you want to learn about that, that's at joshtrent.com. So you can go to joshtrent.com for everything. Um, but breathwork.io is for the breathe program. And that's where y'all can learn a lot more depth and a lot more practicum about what we talked about today. So thanks, Misty. Yeah, this is fantastic. Well, thanks everyone for spending a little time with us today. We'll see you soon. That's it for this week's episode. Thank you for listening. I hope you're feeling more empowered to overcome your flabby, foggy, and fatigued and to reclaim your life. If you haven't subscribed yet, don't forget to hit that subscribe button right now so you don't miss any of our episodes. We have some awesome shows coming right up. I love reading your reviews and comments too. They inspire me and encourage other Rosies to hang out with us and learn all these amazing strategies for healing and living our best lives. Till next time, sister. Bye. Bye.